I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Fort and Deirdre Bosa. Today, scattered thunderstorms across the cloud. Software, MongoDB, Okta, C3 AI all getting crushed down 20 to 30 percent plus after earnings. We are going to talk to two of those three CEOs this hour, along with Pure Storage and Samsara. That stock down 10 percent as well. Software getting rocked as the Wisdom Tree Cloud Computing ETF down 6 percent. Guys, John, a big part of this is just sort of encapsulated in what uh, Tom Siebel said, and that is that customers are scrutinizing large deals, maybe more, more now than ever before. They are sales cycles lengthening, something that we also heard from Bill McDermott at ServiceNow several weeks ago. But uh, first of all, it's not all the same. I want to note Nutanix, which had earnings. That is up almost, what, 30 percent? Almost, Um, you know, outperforming there. Uh, But, you know, some of these companies have individual challenges, problems. You look at Okta and you know, integration of an acquisition, not managing the sales force uh, in the best way, across C3 AIs, switching to a consumption-based model and dealing with these sales cycles. But I think overall, the macro environment is having more of an impact on the enterprise, at least as, at certain levels than investors were hoping. And so now I think part of what we're gonna be talking about today overall is this recalibration if these riptides as things change quickly, D, as we've been saying. How big is that recalibration, right? You mentioned ServiceNow. They were kind of the first to come out, Bill McDermott, and say that sales cycles were lengthening. But even as Samsara, who we're going to talk to today, beat and raise quarters, said that those sales cycles are lengthening. You know, deals that used to just go through for that so-called digital transformation, now they're going to the CFO desk for sign-off. So maybe they're taking a little bit longer. But I think big picture, guys, is we're going to be talking to four CEOs Software CEOs, this program, we're going to find out how they are viewing demand. And that's really what investors are looking for right now. When we start off a month like September with the Wisdom Tree Cloud ETF down more than 7%, I guess, is this the next shoe to drop? John, you and I have talked about the hyperscalers, the cloud players. That has held up pretty well so far. Are they next to see some significant deceleration? I'd point to Seagate earlier this week that said they were starting to see a slowdown at U.S. cloud providers. That could be really worrying going into the rest of the year. Yeah, and it doesn't mean that the business of the hyperscalers has to slow down significantly. It's just if their buying slows down, if they, if they push away from the table and say, I've had enough chips, thank you very much, uh, I'm, I'm going to wait for this to digest, that could potentially have an impact throughout uh, different industries, Carl. So um, <laughs> this is moving quickly, and that's why it's good that we get to do this every day um, mm-hmm. because the way people were feeling <laughs> sentiment-wise last month didn't necessarily have to do with data, right? Now we're getting yeah. that data. Wishful thinking, yep. maybe. We, we've spent a lot of time talking about weakness on the consumer side, uh, and clearly the enterprise uh, story heating up today as well as we get, uh, speaking of Seagate, some new uh, downgrades from Benchmark they go to hold. Uh, Mike Santoli has more, not just on that, Mike, but how it's going to frame the month of September, which we know is historically fraught. It is historically uh, a tough one, especially when the market has been down uh, in the first you know, eight months 
uh, of the year. So no real help there just yet, maybe until the second half of the month, perhaps, uh, if we get a little bit of a cleanse. But look at the way the movement in tech since last November 19th, that was the peak in the NASDAQ, uh, has, has broken down in terms of Apple and then the subsectors, semiconductors, software, and social media. Uh, obviously, yesterday had a pretty little bit of relief on the social media side with uh, Meta and Snap having bounces, but that's in a pretty poor trend right here. This really does tell you, look, the numbers are going down pretty much across the board, whether by a little or a lot in terms of software uh, and semis, and you have expensive stocks where estimates are going down. It's not a good combination. Been talking about for a while, if there's unfinished business market-wide on valuations, on how much they might have to kind of reset lower, it's mostly concentrated in the very largest stocks. That's what really drives the index and the index valuation. So Apple and Microsoft, even though they've come down, still trade at three P.E. points above their five-year average, just above their five-year average. I mean, if they just go back to the five-year average, then we're talking about 12 to 15 percent declines in those two stocks clearly would have an impact on the index. So I think that's the overhang. It doesn't mean it has to happen, uh, but those stocks still have retained this premium and have made things look less bad, believe it or not, on things like the Nasdaq 100 and S&P 500 than they otherwise might. Uh, Mike? Everyone's talking about 3,900. Yeah. Uh, a lot of chart technicians that 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 we that it would involve a test, and if it were to fail, then the June lows could be in play again. We're, we're right there. We are. Um, and you know, on the way down in the last week, you've sliced through a bunch of not so much must-hold levels, but maybe should-hold levels. Uh, so I'm not sure that this is going to be the one. Look, the bond market's going to tell you whether that's going to happen or not, because we're making new highs in yields on the two out to the 10-year. That seems to be what matters the most. People are a little bit nervous about, uh, believe it or not, a strong jobs number tomorrow. And I think that's going to be the equation. We are getting pretty oversold. So arguably, if you go down another couple percent from here, you might start to generate the same kinds of washout signals we got uh, in mid-June. Maybe not quite as bad, but I do think that's why between here and the June lows, which is only, you know, 240 points or something like that on the S&P, uh, you might see just a reflex uh, type bounce, but obviously remains to be seen. Yeah, um, Mike Santoli, thanks so much. We're going to dive further into this, especially the enterprise software space with the first of our four CEOs on this hour. Okta shares, they are down big despite delivering a big beat. Those losses accelerating now down nearly 33 percent. The street rather is skittish. Four downgrades of that stock today. Okta CEO Todd McKinnon joins us now in a CNBC exclusive. Todd, Good morning to you, um, and thank you for chatting with us today. I know that you guys um, had trouble with the integration of Auth0, but you're also reevaluating some of your longer-term targets. How much of that has to do with this integration and the challenges there, and how much has to do with the deal picture, the possibly softening macro backdrop and longer deal times? Well, it's great to be here, Deirdre. On a day like this, it, it's tough to stay focused on the long term and the big picture, but that's what this is a tough group and that's what we're doing. And so the big picture opportunity for Okta is very, very positive and very, very bright. Identity management and our platform and tools and technology have the potential to be at the center of every digital interaction, every employee connecting to their tools at work, their applications, their platforms at work, every consumer connecting to every service they want to use on the internet. So big picture, the opportunity is massive. I think if you pull back to the short term, because not only are we long-term oriented, we're very focused on execution. And when we make mistakes and we have mixed results, we take corrective action to fix those so we can get back on track for that long-term bright, bright future. And in this case, it's really about Octa's transitioning from a company that sold to 
the chief information officer of a company, the chief security officer of a company, to a much broader platform sale that can appeal to the chief digital officer, the chief marketing officer, the chief technical officer. And that's why we bought Auth0 a year and a half ago. And when we talk about the mixed results, I think broadening that buyer appeal is taking a little bit longer than we expected, but we're working very hard to fix that. And we're gonna be off to the races toward this long-term opportunity relatively and quickly. Todd, that's exactly what I'm asking about, that longer-term opportunity. And on the call last night, your CFO said that you guys are reevaluating those fiscal year 2026 targets. What's behind that if this long-term opportunity is intact? And also, what are you seeing right now in terms of demand? Well, with, when I talked about the, the long-term opportunity and the fiscal 26 targets, when we are successful getting there, we're going to have to execute well reaching these new buyers. We have to be able to sell to all these buyers in this C-suite and really become the strategic platform for identity and technology for, in, for every organization in the world. So I think it's prudent to make sure we can get through some of these near-term challenges as we think about marching toward that target. Todd, uh, good morning. It's John. W wanted to ask you, about the macro, but also what seems to me like might be a macro impact on operations, specifically your sales force, right? The attrition that you're experiencing in the sales force. How much of that has to do with the fact that, hey, it's competitive out there still in enterprise software for good salespeople, and so they have options, but at the same time, you've got these macro headwinds that are also causing you trouble. Yeah, we have had a little bit higher than average attrition in the sales team, and that is driving some of the near-term mixed results. I think w when you look at the quarter, though, I think there are salespeople being successful at Okta. We had a record number of million-dollar-plus deals in the quarter. Uh, so on, we had great customer retention, our net retention for customer, which is really emblematic of customer success, is 120% plus. So there's a lot of success going on. But when you think about trying to reach this new buyer and bringing two sales forces together, in, in service of trying to broaden that appeal in the C-suite of every organization in the world, that's challenging and a little bit more challenging than we thought it would be. So we're gonna work through those issues and, and move forward. I think on your macro question, we, we are seeing a little bit of macro change, a little bit of lengthening in sales cycles, but I think big picture wise, that's, that's a very small part of our mixed results. And uh, we have a lot of uh, these corrective actions we're taking in the short term are going to yield to a lot of positive momentum in the future. On the management level, as all of this is happening, your co-founder is taking a one-year break. Your chief product officer is leaving. Uh, how long is it going to take you to get your team on the cadence that you want to, uh, to perform from here? Well, these are all personal decisions for people. and It's hard to speak broadly. But we have a great management team and we have a team that's dedicated to, toward achieving this long-term vision, which is to free everyone to safely use any technology. And there's going to be some ups and downs and there's going to be some short-term changes and tactics. But the long-term vision is very clear and very correct. And this team is fired up to go capture it. Hey, Todd, I'm fascinated by that comment that do you think the challenges are more integration than macro? I guess, how do you think the picture would look if, in fact, uh, you weren't dealing with sort of this, this integration issue at the moment? W is macro sort of steady? It's a great question. And when we think about, I talk a lot on this, on this, in this segment on the long-term opportunity. For us to, to reach, that, uh, that opportunity is bold and broad. It's not about just selling identity management to the CIO and the CISO, the chief security officer for employees. It's about every use case for identity across the whole company. 
for our customers, customers, every digital interaction. And that's bold and that's that's a massive opportunity. So I think ultimately working through some of these short-term challenges lead to a much, much bigger long-term opportunity for Okta. Todd, I'm just going to go back to sort of what I asked you earlier, and I'm just wondering if you're at odds with your CFO or perhaps he misspoke because you're talking about the long-term picture being intact. But again, he was talking about reevaluating those longer-term targets. So who's right here? I think I'm, we're, we're very, very aligned. <laughs> we work very closely together. We're very aligned. And I think when you think about the long-term opportunity and then you think about our goal of the strategic objectives of being broad and having a broad solution, and then you compare that to some of the near-term challenges, we have to work through these near-term challenges on the way to that long-term opportunity. And that's what that's kind of what we're communicating and what we're aligned on internally. Got it. Thank you for clearing that up. Uh, Todd McKinnon, thanks for being with us this morning as well. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Good to be here. Thank you. Another big sector move we are watching today, chip stocks are falling. Mega caps NVIDIA and AMD sharply lower after the U.S. government restricted certain chip sales to China. NVIDIA down more than 8%, hitting new lows for the year. That stock has been cut in half this year. NVIDIA and AMD each generate about a quarter of their total revenue in China. Yunus Yun is there with the reaction from Beijing and impact on semiconductor stocks. Yunus. Thanks, John. Well, China has accused the U.S. of abusing its export controls. Today, the Commerce Ministry said that the U.S. should stop its wrongdoing, harming the rights of Chinese as well as American companies by restricting the sale of these uh, advanced um, artificial intelligence chips to China. So uh, NVIDIA's A100 and upcoming H100 will require U.S. government approval uh, to be sold to Chinese customers. And according to the Chinese media, the customer list is like a who's who of Chinese tech. Uh, Alibaba, Tencent, Baidu and Didi, as well as Lenovo, mainly in cloud services. Uh, and the development, though, of AIs is really a prime a targeted sector that the Chinese want to dominate. So withholding these types of chips uh, really does hold back uh, the uh, Chinese plans to upgrade. So from China's perspective, uh, this is a way that Washington is uh, trying to keep China down. So uh, they are uh, trying to hold back their technological progress as well as their economic progress. And so uh, really what we would like to see is the Chinese uh, solidifying this, solidifying in the Chinese leadership's mind the need to wean themselves off of U.S. advanced chips as well as other imported chips um, in order to make sure that their economy is not vulnerable and instead uh, de- the uh, government here has been funneling a ton of money, as you all know, yeah. into subsidies as um, well as tax breaks to try to develop their own industry. Haven't really been doing a great job. And in fact, um, in recent weeks, mm-hmm. they've been detaining a lot of the officials and executives uh, because uh, they've been misusing the funds. Yeah, Beijing has made a huge push to upgrade Chinese chips um, from all the CEOs we talked to. Hasn't really happened yet. Still a long way to go, Eunice. But last time, We talked about this a few years ago when the U.S. started to ban some technology we were sending over to China. You saw a huge change in the balance of power over there. It hit Huawei, national tech champion, very, very hard, kind of opened up the landscape for an Apple to sell more iPhones there. You talked about some of the companies that are going to be affected this time around, the cloud providers like Tencent and Alibaba, as well as Baidu, which has big ambitions in artificial intelligence. Do you think that that similarly opens up the field for a U.S. player? I know that there's political concerns, especially on this side, but what's the opportunity? 
Oh, well, I mean, you mentioned Huawei. I think that one of the big American players that has been able to benefit is Apple. Because of the restrictions on Huawei's phones uh, due to the U.S. Um, limitations, uh, Huawei phones have not been as popular. And in fact, Apple's iPhones have started to dominate. There's been a lot of buzz, as you guys have been talking about, for the iPhone 14. Um, the, the day before the iPhone 14 is supposed to come out, uh, Huawei is going to be releasing its own phone. But it's going to be a 4G phone. It's not going to be as, mm -hmm. as fancy and as exciting uh, from a Chinese perspective, even as, as customers. So, so there, there is an opportunity there for some American companies. But at the same time, um, you will definitely see, I think, um, at least a, a great amount of effort, Carl, by the Chinese to create its own chips and advanced chips because from a leadership perspective, they see this um, type of restriction as so economically damaging to their future. Uh, definitely a shot across the bow uh, from the White House and the United States. Uh, Eunice, thank you for that. Eunice Yoon today, uh, incredible story in Beijing. When we come back this morning, we are all over the morning's software slump and what it signals about demand. Another stock down big post earnings. The CEO of C3AI is with us after the break. Stay with us. Shares of Western did just slipping this morning. Stock gets downgraded by benchmark from hold down to a sell. Target of 34, they argue economic softness could lead data centers to cut their 2023 spending plans. We've talked about Micron and NVIDIA lowering their outlooks for the remainder of 22 and fiscal 23. Semis broadly trading lower today on pace for five negative sessions in a row. John, and of course, uh, those licensing headlines didn't help. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and, and now let's get back to the slump in software. We talked to Okta. Uh, we talked about MongoDB. Shares of C3AI also down big this morning, 20%, missing on revenue for the fiscal first quarter, issuing lower than expected guidance for the rest of the year. That's become a theme this morning. Joining us now is CEO and co-founder Tom Siebel. Tom, good to see you. So uh, growth, revenue growth, uh, around 25%. But what's happening with these deals with customer hesitancy and this shift to a consumption-based model. Well, good morning, John. And well, first of all, as it relates to kind of what's going on in the marketplace, uh, there's no question in last quarter, we saw a lengthening of decision cycles and uh, additional processes put into the approval process. Um, we saw any number, we saw 66 transactions move out of the quarter that were forecast. We saw any number of transactions that under normal market conditions, I would be quite confident they would close and they just did not close. Uh, so we are seeing our customers in the chemical industry, the oil and gas industry, um, the wood products industry, pharmaceutical industries, uh, these guys are gearing up for recession. They are on a recession planning, and they are really rethinking their business processes. So there's no question, particularly in July, we saw lengthening in sales cycles. So how does a consumption-based model, which is having an impact on your guide, how does that address what you're hearing from customers um, and these economic conditions? It addresses it in a big way. So for the last decade, John, as you know, we've been selling transactions a million, five million, twenty-five million, fifty million dollars at a time. And so we've been something of an anomaly in the SaaS software market. Uh, what has become the standard in the SaaS software market is really consumption-based pricing like we see at Snowflake, Datadog, AWS, Google. 
Um, so, you know, if you price our products at 55 cents per CPU hour, it actually is revenue neutral without having it over, say, 10 quarters, it's revenue neutral without having to negotiate five, 10, 20 million dollar deals. Now, importantly, in the quarter, we significantly expanded our strategic partnership with our partners at Google Cloud. Uh, where Google Cloud will now, they have 4,000 people selling our applications worldwide. They've committed to uh, jointly fund uh, pilot projects at 134 tier one customers. And so in order to really take advantage of that, we need to bring our pricing in line with their pricing and they sell on a consumption-based model. So the net of this is that we will be closing, you know, certainly an order of magnitude, I think, more customer relationships um, in, in very short order. However, for a short period of time, our revenue goes flat. And then as you get into calendar year uh, 23, uh, the revenue, it, I mean, it hits a hockey stick and uh, our growth rates should be very substantial. So this was, we're in this for the long term. And this was uh, a decision that we made that we're quite satisfied will result in more customers, better partners, more revenue, more revenue growth, more profitability. And we will emerge from this recession a, a, a stronger, more prosperous company with greater market share. Interesting to hear you use the R word there, Tom. I am curious, uh, the, the shift in sentiment among customers, has it been abrupt or has it been in the oven for a while? And, and I wonder if you can, can compare it to maybe some prior downturns we've had last 20 years. Well, I would say the, 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 the headwinds in July were pretty bracing, Carl. I mean, I didn't see it coming. And um, I mean, we did see, I mean, it's very clear that there's been recession talk out there. But uh, you know, I was really pretty surprised by what we saw in July. Something fundamentally changed. And then I went and visited some of our customers in Houston and Atlanta. I'll be out in uh, Virginia next week. Uh, and it's very clear that, you know, at the most senior levels, these companies are, you know, they're in the bunkers planning for global recession. And so procurement processes are changing. And this new pricing model that we have, consumption-based pricing, is going to make it possible for these customers to continue to acquire our technology at, at a rapid pace. Uh, even in a recessionary economy, short-term impact on revenue is that revenue goes flat for a little while. Medium-term impact on revenue is, you know, substantial growth in calendar use years 23 and beyond. Tom, good morning. Um, you, as well as many CEOs, are now looking at cost reductions given the macro background that you just outlined. On the call last night, you said that layoffs were not a part of that for your company, but I wonder if you could give us more color around hiring and your workforce. You spoke to us, I think, about a year ago, and you said you had thousands of candidates for open positions. Were you able to hire them? And also, I wonder, have you relaxed at all your position on remote work? Previously, you said that you would not hire anyone who wanted to work from home. Well, if you go, if you visit our headquarters here, and I ensure I encourage you to come visit some, stop by for a cup of coffee. I have the only full parking lot in Silicon Valley, so we are working from the office, and we have been from some time uh, in Redwood City, in Chicago, in New York, uh, in <clears throat> London, Paris, Rome, and Copenhagen, <laughs> and it is a very high energy work from the office environment. Uh, and you're on your way quarter, in, right? <laughs> last last quarter, we had eleven thousand applicants. 
I think we hired 350 people for the sales organization. We for the new sales organization, we had a thousand applicants. Uh, we're consistently rated as one of the best places to work in the world. Uh, our attrition rates are more than acceptable, and um, and so and we're uh, we have a lot of. This is a place where people like to work and want to work. And Tom, you're in five days a week. Pardon me? I am in five days a week. <laughs> so you're on your way in today, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm just okay. here to see you early in the morning. And after this call, I'm on my way to the office, Deirdre. <laughs> Still before nine on the West Coast. Do how quickly we forget. Tom, uh, going more into that Google deal and the partnerships, um, and even as it works through the consumption model, uh, practically how long is that going to work and what kind of sales capacity do you need to make sure that you take full advantage of that? Well, with Google alone, I have 4,000 sales professionals selling for us around the world. And in order to take advantage of that, I needed to bring our pricing in line with their pricing. These guys are used to these people, these men and women are used to uh, are sell on a consumption based pricing model. So we had to align with them to take advantage of it. Google has committed okay, to co-sell and jointly fund over 100 tier one customers with us. So to take advantage of this and the selling we do with AWS and the selling we do with Microsoft, it was, it was critical that we bring our pricing uh, in line with their consumption-based pricing model. Uh, net effect will be a much greater number of customers. Uh, net effect, once we get into uh, uh, calendar year 23 and calendar year 24 is going to be much greater revenue, much greater revenue growth, much greater um, uh, market share and greater profitability. Uh, in answer to your other question, Deirdre, okay, we are hiring. There is no layoff, okay, but we are putting together, uh, we have put into place uh, very uh, rigorous cost controls to make sure that by the end of uh, next fiscal year that we're running a cash positive uh, non-gap profitable business. All right. Tom Siebel, CEO of C3AI. Thank you. Pouring some cold water on Disney's prime copycat. That story is coming up next as Tech Check is back in just three minutes. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Christina Parts Nevelis, and here's what's happening at this hour. The chairman of Russia's second biggest oil company died today, the latest in a series of sudden deaths among the country's business leaders. Reuters reports two sources are saying Luke Oil chairman Ravel Maganov died after falling from a hospital window in Moscow. In a statement, the company said he died following a serious illness. Soon after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Luke Oil's board called for negotiations to quickly end the fighting. The U.S. Labor Department reports today that new claims for unemployment insurance fell to their lowest level since late June. That would be 232,000. The government will release its August jobs number tomorrow morning. And Twitter is testing a new feature many typo-prone users have been waiting for. Some paying customers will be able to edit a tweet within 30 minutes of posting it. The tweet will be labeled and readers will be able to see past versions to, in the company's words, protect the integrity of the conversation. Carl, back over to you. All right, Christina, thank you very much. We have uh, bounced off some intraday lows. Dow was down about 300, currently down about 100. Watch Disney, reportedly now working on its own Prime-like subscription service. Our Julia Borston has some more details on that offering. Hey, Julia. 
Well, Carl, Disney is working on a membership program, but sources tell me it's not like Amazon Prime, which is all about e-commerce and free shipping. This membership would be about customizing and connecting the experience for fans across the parks and Disney Plus and Disney's other businesses. Now, a source close to the situation tells me it is still very much early days and details on pricing for a membership and what exactly would be included have not yet been determined. But my source says the company is looking at potentially offering exclusive merchandise, exclusive content or experiences, along with discounts and deals. Now, there is no doubt that having more data connecting people's online and offline behavior could be massively valuable for Disney for marketing and could drive attendance at the parks or even movie theaters, plus could drive more purchases both online and offline. Disney's saying, quote, technology is giving us new ways to customize and personalize the consumer experience, so we are delivering entertainment experiences and products that are most relevant to each of our guests. Disney is more than a brand to our consumers. It's a lifestyle, and we are exploring how to better serve them across our many touch points. Now, Disney is separately working to include QR codes on Disney Plus to make it easier to shop from the streaming service, but that is really more about cross-platform integration and is separate from this membership service in the works. But one thing, guys, is worth noting is this is all part of a broader trend of media companies trying to own their relationship with their consumer as they separate out from the bundle. And Disney has a real advantage uh, in that regard because of the physical touch point of the parks. Guys. Yeah, Julia, Jason Calacanis on this program, earlier version of it years ago, saying Disney should do exactly this. Let's see if they execute the Calacanis plan. Well, if you look at the Dow, down less than 100 points, you're missing the larger story. Sharp moves beneath the surface. The WCLD cloud index down more than 7%. MongoDB, Okta, among those that are down big. Samsara, another software name, taking it on the chin today, post earnings. It is down about 18, 19%. We got an exclusive interview with the CEO next. It is a rough morning for software, especially growth software. I was just mentioning Samsara. It is down about 19% this morning, uh, despite a beat across the board in Q2, reporting strong demand, raising the top line guide for the year ahead uh, with all of this turbulence going on. Joining us now to break it all down in the CNBC exclusive, Samsara co-founder and CEO Sanjit Biswas. Sanjit, good to see you. Now, um, your growth in the quarter 52% top line, but you're guiding to mid-30s going forward, even as you're, you're raising the full year. What's happening in the, the larger environment, whether it's the overall macro or, or what, that's causing uh, what some would point to as a growth deceleration? Well, first, John, thanks for having me on. I, I want to start with a little bit of context, and we can talk about the guidance. So we serve the world of physical operations. Samsara is helping digitize the critical infrastructure companies that power our global economy. So think supply chains, energy utilities, even local governments. We're connecting them to the cloud, helping them be safer, more efficient, more sustainable in their operations. The need for that technology is persistent across uh, whatever is going on with interest rates in the macro economy. We all need this infrastructure to function, and they're digitizing very rapidly. So that's what we're selling into, and that's why we remain in an investment mode as we continue to build this company for the long term. We had a great Q2. We reported 52% year-over-year growth. We raised our guide, as you mentioned, but we are being cautious. And so I think it makes sense for us to take a look at what's going on in the macro economy, make sure we're being conservative in our planning and our guidance. But we do see the opportunity for growth, and that's what we focus on. 
Yeah, your growth overall, strong. I mean, hey, mid-30s uh, growth, given the environment that we're in, is pretty significant. But I wonder what the follow-on effects are of what you described as some lengthening sales cycles, customers taking extra time to dot the I's and cross the T's and make sure they're getting that ROI, maybe having to go through more approvals. How much are you um, being conservative either in your hiring, increasingly so, or in what you're investing in go-to-market, given everything else that's happening? So we are continuing to invest, and that's the important thing to highlight here, is as we're growing, we're at scale, and there's a natural sort of deceleration that occurs as the numbers get larger and larger. We reported ARR of over $660 million. So we're getting to the scale where uh, 30% growth is a very large number, and we're making sure to invest in that. So we're hiring uh, across the board. We have about 300 open recs, but we're keeping an eye on ROI and on our path to profitability. So we're making sure that every incremental hire we make directly has an impact on growing the business and doing it in a sustainable way that uh, marches us towards profitability. So that's how we think about it, is that balance between growth and profitability. Uh, Sanjit, it's here. Good morning. Any color that you could provide on what you've seen in the current quarter so far? Has deal time um, or the cycle continued to lengthen at all? Are you seeing any differences between the different sectors that you serve? So we do serve a broad variety of industries. Uh, I mentioned a few of them, but it's everyone from the supply chain companies to the energy utilities to others. We see across the board, there is um, more uh, uh, scrutiny on the deals themselves in terms of making sure there's clear ROI. However, we're seeing the free trial conversion rates continue to remain at a high rate. Uh, we see basically the need for the software, the need for the technology is is really fundamental. And so I think CFOs are naturally being cautious as they think about, is every dollar going to growth in their own businesses? But we're not seeing a fundamental shift in terms of the need for the technology. So that's something that is really persistent across all different industries. The need is still very much there. So when you think about operating margin targets, given the, sort of the headwinds, but also the cost discipline, I mean, directionally, it's going in the right direction, but how, how good can they get closer to, to getting flat? Well, that's our goal, is to continue that March towards profitability. We showed a 17 percentage point improvement uh, in our operating margin, our non-GAAP operating margin in the last quarter. And that's been a concerted effort across the company. We want to make sure we're building a strong business for the long term. Um, so you'll see us get there. And this is something that we're going to move towards regardless of what happens in the macro economy. Strong growth, uh, despite everything going on. Sanjit Biswas from Samsara. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, John. It's been a busy day, but coming up next week, it's going to be even busier. Tech Check will be live at the Code Conference in L.A. We will hear from Tim Cook, Andy Jassy, Sundar Pichai, and many more. You do not want to miss that one. Tech Check is back in two. Let's get a check on one of the biggest laggards on the NASDAQ this morning. That would be Datadog, or I should say another. It is the third biggest laggard after Okta and NVIDIA. It's down more than 40% year-to-date, falling further today as software stocks continue to see pressure. That said, Bank of America calling it a buy this morning, initiating the stock with a $135 price target, calling its product suite a, quote, best-of-breed portfolio with expansion potential. As I mentioned, stock is down more than 10% this morning. Tech Check is back in just a moment. Shares of Pure Storage pulling back after a 5% pre-market pop, uh, now down about uh, four and a half. The data storage company reporting some upbeat earnings and mixed results from its industry rivals, at least. Chairman and CEO Charles Giancarlo joins us this morning to talk about the company and the space. Charlie, uh, interesting, you're kind of getting lumped, um, lumped in with uh, some of the peer group today. It doesn't sound like your customer base is uh, nearly as negative on their IT budgets. 
No, it's certainly true. I mean, we raised, uh, you know, we had a great quarter in Q2. We raised for uh, next quarter and the year as a whole. So, you know, we're seeing very strong demand and an increasing pipeline. Uh, curious as to the market response today, but uh, I think you're right. It's just uh, uh, tied into the larger macro. Right. Now, now speaking of macro, you are you do carve out uh, some part of the conversation uh, to focus on Europe. And there you say the challenges maybe are a bit more acute. Well, uh, not from a demand standpoint. We're seeing very good demand uh, in Europe. And in fact, uh, you know, we have probably, uh, you know, the most uh, um, environmentally um, uh, sensitive uh, product in the world. We use far less energy, far less power, far less space than everybody else. And that's uh, at a premium in Europe right now. So we're actually expecting to see, uh, you know, coming out of some of the energy sensitivity over there, some uh, really good demand. Uh, morning, Charlie. What, what are you seeing in demand from the hyperscalers, there's so much um, a pick, uh, a part of the buying picture right now. And if they were to just, as I was saying earlier, push away from the table and say they're full, could have a big impact on a lot of companies. It could. We're, we're, uh, hyperscalers are not a big part of our demand, uh, relatively small. We, we do sell a lot into the cloud, primarily SaaS and, and uh, managed service providers, uh, non uh, the cloud service providers, but not the top three. Uh, what we're seeing, we continue to see actually good demand out of the SaaS space. Charlie, okay, those are the hyperscalers, but what about some of the smaller players? And, um, you know, I think it's a good question because earlier this week, Seagate said that their weakness went beyond the legacy segment into some U.S. cloud customers. They didn't say which, though. You know, it's interesting, uh, magnetic uh, disk demand, uh, and most of that market now is in fact in the uh, hyperscalers. A lot of it's come out of consumer and a lot of it's come out of enterprise. You know, our, our market is, uh, that is the flash market, is really about replacing magnetic disk. Uh, and we're starting to see that as, as uh, flash continues to, to decline in price relative to magnetic disk, we're replacing more and more of it. And uh, so actually, I think, you know, it's a tale of two different uh, cities entirely. Uh, the the uh, reduction of magnetic is generally good for us. Uh, we see uh, great demand coming from the mid-tier of the magnetic market. What are you seeing heading into Q4, which typically sees uh, a spike in consumption? Is that trending as it normally does, just the, the sense of you're getting uh, in, in data center demand? It, it, it actually is. We're seeing, you know, an increase in our pipeline. You know, we're, as I said, we're seeing very good demand through the rest of the year. Uh, you know, while uh, uh, deal cycles have lengthened a little bit, but on the flip side, there's been no demand destruction and the demand actually is increasing from what we're seeing. Now, by the way, uh, I should say that we're a share taker uh, in a very large market. And so I think we're a little bit less uh, sensitive to, uh, you know, to the macro. Yeah, I was going to ask you if we're in a period where uh, we are starting to see some shifts in share. And also, my last question was about uh, CapEx R&D. I mean, is there is there a need to get more stingy on that front or not? No, we're not, you know, we're not big CapEx uh, uh, spenders. Uh, obviously, you know, by producing product, we do spend CapEx, but it's not a large part. 95% of our team is software. Uh, so, you know, very much more uh, aligned with uh, this, the spend on software. And we are continuing to hire. It's an important uh, part for us. Uh, we're seeing, you know, we'll grow uh, well above 20% uh, uh, this year. Uh, and uh, our expectation is that we have to continue to build our team as we go forward. Uh, certainly a, a fascinating day uh, to report. Charlie, appreciate you coming on. Good to see you.
You Charlie bet. Thanks so much for having me. As we had a break, check out shares of ARC, the innovation ETF. Kathy Wood having a rough end to the summer. New data showing $803 million rushed out of the ARC Innovation ETF in August. The biggest monthly outflow since last September. After investors stuck with her funds for so long despite the weak performance, ARC's flagship fund is down more than 4%, nearly 5% right now. Over the last week, down more than 20%. We will be back after one more quick break. What a morning it has been for software. The uh, WCLD remains down about seven and a third percent. One name we haven't mentioned so far this morning is uh, Sentinel One, uh, down double digits on what were actually pretty solid results. We'll talk to the CEO tomorrow here on Tech Check D, but certainly uh, a bunch of uh, negative halos going around the sector today. You got to give it to these CEOs, right? In the face of their sinking stocks, they're coming on, they're talking to us, they're being extremely candid. We heard from four of them today, John, um, all pretty honest about what was going on in terms of the demand picture. These are all data points that investors are collecting right now to see if enterprise sort of the next leg in the sell-off here. Um, And we've got a big September coming up. I mean, we're at code next week. There's the number of conferences where we're going to hear from other CEOs that are really going to help us figure out where to go here. Just a huge entire four months remaining uh, in the year. And what a way to start that period. But, you know, just a few days ago, uh, people were feeling like, oh, boy, so so sorry I missed that June low yeah. on the software stock. Well, here it is again. It's coming around. It didn't uh, do, do you have the conviction to take advantage? Meanwhile, let's get to one last gut check. If you're looking for stocks that might weather a downturn, well, City thinks it's found a couple in the back office initiating Intuit and Box as top picks, saying both names are mission-critical companies with recession-proof demand. Hey, Intuit is uh, on sale today, down almost 3.5% DN box, holding up like a champ. I mean, can you say that it's on discount? Because we used to talk about this stock in relation to Dropbox as well, right? Both Dropbox, more of a consumer name, but moving into the enterprise, they have really diverged over the last year. Look at this, their year 12-month performance box under Aaron Levy, it is up just marginally, but Dropbox um, is down, what, 32%, and that has brought Box's forward PE multiple to twice that, nearly twice that of Dropbox. Um, And Carl, I still remember not that long ago, he was fighting off activist investors. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, we're definitely in that period where we're watching it uh, closely, guys. I, I'm sorry, I just keep getting fascinated by the fact that 3,900 has held here, John. Uh, we're back at 3,912, some pretty fascinating 52-week lows, Paramount, Match, PVH, Verizon, Salesforce, and of course, Intel and NVIDIA uh, on, uh, on that news that did not help the chip sector on a week where City already said that they were basically throwing in the towel. I mean, what a setup for the jobs number tomorrow, especially considering that thousand point drop on the Dow last Friday, right? So you got a week away from that. You got a jobs number. Is good news bad news? Is good news good news? I don't know, Carl, but uh, it's going to be an important number and going to have a lot to do perhaps with what the market does tomorrow. Yeah, uh, they're definitely seeing moves that would suggest strength. Uh, We'll find out in a little less than 24 hours. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern.